Welcome, Redeem Church family and friends to the Church on the Move. You know, we're doing something really unique and far-reaching in our city, and I'm so excited to be a part of what the Lord is doing through our body. Um, as you, many of you know, we're moving into our new building here soon at the People's Plaza. And what a cool place it is. It's an old historic brick building right at one of the busiest intersections in Lakewood. And it really gives us an opportunity to be a true hub, a place of service to our community. And so we're going to be at a place where we can literally serve our community 24-7. And what an exciting thing that is. And it's such a unique, different approach to the, you know, the normal realm of meeting uh, once a week and having that as a worship service as opposed to getting to serve the Lord every day. So a uh, great, great opportunity here. I just want to tell uh, Kurt, thank you for his leadership, the elders, the staff, and the body of Christ here. You're being very visionary and wanting to reach our community, and it's such a blessing for me to get to be a part of it. So thank you. Good job, you guys. And You know, it's interesting because I was talking to my dad about this in Texas, and he said, you know, this is basically what he said. He said, you know, Marty, I've never been a religious person, and I've really never had uh, any need to do anything with the organized church. But when I hear what you guys are doing there, I just want to come help y'all. And you know, that that is so true. It, it is literally different to be an organic, living representative of the Lord Jesus Christ versus going to church, right? And so it's a pretty exciting opportunity. And I, I just want to be grateful for this moment and really make the most of it. So thank you guys for that. And uh, it's an opportunity for us to really go deep with the Lord and do something unique. In that same vein, what's interesting is Kurt and the teaching team has been leading us to go deep with the Lord now for over a year. But recently we've said, we're going to go through the book of Romans. You want to know about deep. If, if, if you think about it, when's the last time in any preaching series or interaction that you've had uh, with an ongoing Bible study that you've gone through the entire book of Romans? I'm telling you, Romans is the powerhouse of depth when it comes to theology. It's the foundations of really knowing what church looks like. And it was how the church was supposed to be built then, and it's how it works now. So I've loved this. And what we've done is we've created kind of a, a diagram that shows you what we're calling the Roman road. So you can look at that on your screen now. But the diagram looks something like this. At the beginning of Romans, you're going to be in what's called the courthouse, where mankind is having a dialogue with God about the, you know, the reality of his existence and rules and everything else. That's, that's kind of the first three chapters. Then from there, it moves to this place called faith, where you have the opportunity to say, wait a minute, it, it isn't about what we can do, it's about what he can do. And you see Father Abraham, and then boom, it moves to this beautiful father's house, family living room opportunity. And from there, it moves to what we call the opportunity to really walk in freedom. And from there, you're going to see the, the Roman road move to, you can be transformed when you are in the father's house. And from there, it's the opportunity that as you're being transformed, to be able to invest in the lives of others, which is transformational or outreach. So that's kind of the way the book is going. That's the flow. So far, this is what we've done. We hit uh, chapter one, and I'm just going to summarize them really quick so that we can uh, make sure that we're all on the same page because I'm ready to land on chapter seven today. But before I get to seven, we have to understand one through six. So real briefly, chapter one had everything to do 
with does God exist or not? It's this courtroom setting where mankind is saying, look, God, are you real? And God basically says, nature proves that I am. And if that's not enough, the fact that you're arguing existence with me proves that I exist, right? Then chapter two gets to the place where this is like the second argument in the courtroom. And it's where mankind is saying, all right, you do exist. And so you should approve of us because we're so self-righteous. You should want us. And he said, well, really, probably what you need in terms of your own righteousness is to be forgiven. Then you get to chapter three, and it's all right, we do, we see the value of forgiveness. And so now what we want to do is we want to build a religious institution around forgiveness so that we can make sure that you forgive us the way we want to be forgiven. He basically is going to say, well, that won't work either because you can't put me in a box that's so small that makes me not be who I am. But I want to invite you, which we're going to see is chapter four, into my house, into a place of freedom where you literally get to know me as father. That's chapter four. And then chapter five, and I loved uh, the way Eddie approached it. It's, it's when you get into his house, you're going to be reshaped. You're going to be reconciled. You're going to be made new. And while everything's being shaken, you're being shapened. And it's really, it's a beautiful opportunity to see what reconciliation really looks like. And that, you know, that's that movement into that family room where we can really talk about the hard things. And then that's what Kurt did last week in chapter six. And he said, chapter six is where it comes down to you. God's going to say, look, we're going to have a hard discussion. You've got to die to the flesh. You can't be lustful and sinful and think you're going to make progress in my house because there's not sin and lust in my house. It won't work that way. We got to, you got to go a different path. And I tell you, it's one of the most powerful messages. If you didn't hear it, go back because Kurt, kind of concluded with this concept is that there's two ways you can move move with God. There's only two ways. One is sin and the wages of that or the result of that path or the end of that path is death. And the other is faith in Christ and the result of that is eternal life. And he said this, and this is what was so powerful. Friends, there's only two paths. Everyone has to pick one. You don't get to pick both and you don't get to decide to pick neither. You're, you're going to have to pick. I don't know about you when, when it's that simple, death or life, freedom, you know, I'm going with Christ. And so I just really appreciated that message. And so now we're going to go one step further into Romans chapter 7. And it's going to be, all right, now that you learn that you have to die to the sin in the flesh, now I want you to go one more death dive. And he says, I'm going to want you to die to the law. And friends, I have been literally sweating drops of blood for over two weeks as I've written, prepared, and, and done everything I can to be accurate about this very significant chapter, Romans chapter 7. Because ultimately what it's going to tell us is that we need to die to the sin, we need to die to the law, because that stuff can't help us. We have to, we have to die to it. It's, it's not going to be able to cause us to be a better human, neither of those two things. And so it's difficult when so much of what we've done is said, we need to abide by the law, right? And I'm not acknowledging or I'm not trying to say that the law doesn't have value. The law does have value, but stay with me through this entire message because you're going to see that the value of the law is pointing us to Christ. It's not a substitute for Christ. So make sure you stay with me all the way where it might be confusing. But if you do stay with me and we see these many verses, this powerful chapter about how to die to the law and really live in the spirit, it could be transforming. And it's literally the last step of of freedom to move us and set us up for true transformation. So that's what's at stake here. 
So anyway, we're going to jump into it, and I'm just going to uh, call my sermon this, How to Die to Stuff That Ultimately Kills Us Anyway, okay? How to Die to Stuff That Ultimately Kills Us Anyway. We've already learned we're going to have to die to the flesh. That was last week. Kurt did a great job. Now we're going to learn how we get to die to the law, or at least our perception of what the law means. I want you to remind, uh, be reminded of the last thing in uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is what it said. It said, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's just crystal clear. You can't walk around in, in sin and think that everything's going to be okay. Everything's not okay. God wants us to be able to live above the physical realm. God wants us to be able to move from being uh, self-centered to the place of being God-focused, Christ-centered and alive forever. But watch this. Now he's going to move to Romans chapter 7, and I want you to read verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. Paul's point here is so straightforward. If you're married to the law, you need to allow the law to die so that you can get free from that covenant that you've made. Because that wasn't the covenant that he's looking for. He's looking for something greater than a marriage to the law. He's looking for a marriage to Christ. That's what we're going to see in a moment. And so there's a freedom that awaits us, but that freedom is greater than what the law can offer. And at this, we're going to have to start diving into the difficulty of theology, okay? So first of all, let me ask you, how well do you know the law? You know, a lot of us, we will fight for the law. It's, it's amazing for me. I will fight for the law. When I'm driving and somebody cuts me off or they run a light or whatever, man, I'm all about the law. Now, if I'm the one that's not using my blinker or driving bad, then I'm kind of all about grace. It's like it wasn't that big of a deal. It's funny that really we know about the law as it benefits us. We don't always know the law so well as it causes us to change and transform others. All right. But I want to just ask you, you know, how well do you even know the law? And I, and I think of people on... Uh, you know, just on a pilgrimage or on a journey to come to know the Lord. And as we come to know the Lord, we are going to be walking through the law. That's one of the things that points us to Him. But there's no substitute for knowing the Lord by knowing the law. God wants us to know Him. And the law points us to Him and to our need of Him. So you know what's interesting? People will start telling me about, you know, they'll critique, they'll criticize, they'll be offended, they'll blame They'll use guilt. They do all this stuff about things or people or whatever, not measuring up or being the way they want it. And I'll often ask them, I'll say, well, what is your expectation and where does that come from? Well, it's the book. It's the law. And I'll say, okay, you know, show me in the word where that is. And, and I often have found that people really, they, they don't even know the Ten Commandments. Let's just be honest. I'll say, okay, do you, 
what are the Ten Commandments? How do they line up with that? And then how do they line up with what Jesus taught about the Ten Commandments, right? So I'm just asking you, I don't want you to recite the Ten Commandments. And by the way, they're in Exodus chapter 20, just so that you can go and look. And even if you know them, they're so beautiful. Because, you know, just think of the very first one. It's, you, you shall have no other gods before me. All right? What's the Lord really saying? Is I'm enough. I am God. I am who I am. We have to start with you understanding that and loving and appreciating that. And if, when, you, when you get that right, then the other things will make sense. And so if we validate the way that we think life's supposed to be or our expectations based upon the law, we need to know the whole law and the one who wrote it, the one who's above it, the one who's embodied it in the, in the life of Christ, right? And so the better question might not be, how well do you know the law, but how well do you know the Lord? Let's just stop and think about it. How well do you know anybody? How do you get to know somebody? Well, you've got to take time to understand them. You've got to take under time to get to really know them on a relational level. And when it comes to uh, trying to have a deep relationship with God, I would just suggest that somebody who's read the entire Bible, and friends, I've read the Bible many times through. I've studied it in Hebrew. I've studied it in Greek. And so it's a very significant uh, book to me. I've invested my life in it. I believe it is an incredible account of who God is in his interactions with mankind. I believe it completely points us to a greater way of, of being able to walk with him and know him. I believe it's all leading to John chapter 17, verse 3, where Jesus says this, an eternal life is this, knowing the Father and knowing the Son whom he sent. You've, you've got to learn and take time to understand. But I could read the whole Bible three to four times or whatever. There could be somebody else who's just barely read a little bit, who just maybe even came to know the Lord a few days ago. And if they're open to what the Spirit is being able to impart into them and to teach them, I have so much I can learn from that person, right? It's not like, you know, I've arrived, we never arrive. And then the other thing is that somebody who has just come to know the Lord based upon their heart and desire to seek Him, to seek His kingdom and His righteousness, they can be fast-tracked in their ability to get to know Him. And even let's say, you know, here's the beginning point right here. And we've studied years and years and years and we get to here. Just think how big God is. God goes forever. And so we're all just barely getting, you know, started in this journey so let's not get hung up on the law. Make sure that we do move towards trying to understand who the Lord is. And the goal is going to be that we come to a place where we can really hear his voice and allow him to be our teacher. That's where it's going to go. It's going to go to this, this truth that the spirit of the living God has been sent to live within our innermost being to be able to be our teacher, to recount truth to us, to be able to comfort us and to lead us into all truth. So we really do need to learn what it means to hear his voice, to be led by his spirit. So when he says that we're going to have to die to the law, can you imagine if, if the spirit says, Marty, I want to share some things with you. And I say, not right now. I need to go read a book on theology. That's not such a great place to be, right? Unless I go and I read a theology book and the theology says, hey, let's start with John chapter 14 and move towards that place of having a better understanding of the Holy Spirit, right? But again, there has to be this ability that we have to connect with the living God and, and be able to even see him in a relationship, not just in a law book. 
So if you were to tell us you know, how well you're doing in terms of uh, how well you know the law and how well you know the Lord, we're probably around here. And what we really want to do is make sure that we set ourselves up to go as deep with God as he wants. So watch what Paul's going to tell us. Now, I'm reading Romans chapter 7, verse 4. And Paul's going to go further on with this concept of the law versus, and dying to the law versus really understanding the heart of the Lord. He says, Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ, that you might be joined to another, to him, who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit for God. This is such a powerful statement. Let me just break it down a little bit. Therefore, my brethren, and here, brothers, sisters, you're in the family room. This isn't the legal room. This isn't, you know, concepts. This is the way it really works in family. You are now in God's house. You're on the couch. He's loving you. He's trying to make sure we understand certain things. Brethren, let's get this right. You were made to die to the law. You're supposed to die to it. It's a beginning point, but you don't live for the law. You live for Christ. And this is how you're going to do it. You're going to die to the law through the body of Christ. We as a body of believers, when we allow Holy Spirit to work through us, we become very, we become very effective, a beautiful tool to be able to impart the heart of God, the transformational power of God, to see other people die to the rules and live to Christ. We don't throw the rules away. We learn how to die to rules to live in the fullness of Jesus Christ, who is, by the way, the fulfillment of the law. We as the body represent the fulfillment of the law of Christ. It's, uh, we just can't miss this. It's such a significant truth. And we're going to be joined together with him. And oh, by the way, that when you're joined with him, you can bear fruit. And friends, go and, and again, look at the amazing truths in Scripture that have been already painted for us. If we're not in Christ, we can't even bear any fruit. It's impossible. And so our goal as the body of Christ is to make sure that we understand what it means to be in right relationship with Jesus. And here's the power of it. Number one is that the law was never intended to give us the power to bear fruit. We will not bear fruit. We will not have a perfect life by keeping the law. We need, it's right there. And so ultimately what I'm saying is we just need to die to that anyway. That's, and it's not what I'm saying. It's what Paul said right here. You need to be able to die to it. Why? Because the law won't make us perfect. It, it doesn't work that way. The law works to point us to the one who is perfect. The law points us so that we can understand our need for grace. And that grace isn't just forgiveness. That grace is the ability to receive his love, to receive his power, to walk in his glory as the body of Christ. That's when everything moves from rule keeping to transformational life. It's such a powerful truth, but I just want you to understand that there is a place where we just don't know the boundaries. We don't know all the things. We need to do our due diligence to understand that. And you're going to see later that we are to be students of the Word. I'm not saying that the Word is the law. I'm saying that the Word points us to Christ just like the law did. But if, if you think that we're going to become alive just because we're reading a book or following rules, it won't work that way. You have to die to that mindset, and then you have to use those uh, truths, those standards, 
so that we can see of our need for him. And the first thing that you're going to need when, when you read his book, when you get to know Jesus at all, the first thing you're going to understand that you need is you need to be forgiven and loved by him. And that's what he does best. And so, again, let's go back to Romans 5.20, because this is a big truth to take. It says that the law came in so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So now what we want to do, friends, is to look at the difference between grace and the law. The law points us to our need of forgiveness and life in Christ. That's what the law does. The law shows us that we're not going to measure up on our own, that we never have and that we never will. That there's something greater than what the law can offer. And it's a person. It's a relationship. It's Jesus. And the way that you enter into that relationship with Jesus is through grace, not by keeping the rules. I hope you understand that. You see, it, there, it's so different than being uh, a person who understands that they are deeply forgiven and deeply loved than somebody who feels guilty into performing a certain way so that they can measure up. It's a completely different outcome. And I'm so grateful that what we're being told here is don't let sin be master over you. In other words, just like in the flesh, if sin was master over you, you'd be always working to try to make your flesh wonderful. So we'd be doing liposuction. We'd be doing all those crazy things. We'd be on diet, self-improvements, blah, 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 so that we could have perfect flesh, which is just going to die anyway. The same thing is true of the law. You can memorize the verses. You can do all this stuff. But if you aren't moving into the heart of God, it won't transform us anyway. You have to be able to die to that. And grace is where the transformation takes place. That's the power. That's the power to perfect us the way God wants us perfected. I call it like this. We know what the law really does. The law is an invitation for a cage fight. And the, and, and the cage fight looks like this. God's going to say, I'm going to take my grace, my very spirit, and I'm going to put it in that cage fight arena, and we're going to let the law and rules and measuring up go at it, and we're going to see who wins. And I guarantee you he wins every time. It's a beautiful fight. And I'm so grateful that grace isn't just this warm, fuzzy, concept. It's not a blanket to make us feel better. Grace is the very power of God that carries his very substance into our lives in such a way that we are empowered to overcome the flesh, the law, whatever the world's throwing at us, we can overcome it through his grace, which is his power. And so I don't want to substitute the power of the living God for things that aren't going to get the fight won. Can you see the significance of grace? Because I can I want grace. So the real question should be for us is, how do we really set ourselves up to receive the grace? And I just want you to know that the way that a person is going to receive grace, according to what Paul says, is by dying to the belief that it'll come through keeping the law. As soon as you and I think, if, if I just work these rules a little bit better, I'm opening myself up for grace, you're going to lose that fight. But when you say, wait a minute, Lord, I need your love. I need your forgiveness. I need your power. I can't do this on my own anymore. I've tried. I've done everything I know. I'm trying my best. And it still didn't work out at work. And it still didn't work out in my marriage. And it still didn't work out in these other arenas, in my health. 
I need you. I need your help. That's when grace is given its uh, opportunity to work at its best. But when we get in there and we dilute it with our abilities to behave well, then it moves from grace to transform us to rules that will modify our behavior. And our best behavior is no substitute for the presence and the power of the living God. Can I, I just feel like we should have an amen on that. It's so true. So that's where I'm wanting us to move. That's where the power's really at. Grace works best when it's undeserved. Bam! That's the truth. It just does. I want to let you see this where it took place historically. Go with me to the book of Ezra, chapter 9, verse 8. And in Ezra, we're going to find that the people of God are uh, in exile. They've gone through some of the most difficult things that any human beings would ever have to face. And isn't it interesting that this happens over and over again in history? Isn't it interesting that we always talk about we're going to come together and create a utopic society where rules are fair for everyone, and yet the more you look at history, the more you look at the truths of the Bible, and you even just look right now across the ocean to Russia and Ukraine and just wherever you look, it's not where there's a fairness and a love for the brethren. It is where there's people trying to dominate, harm, and hurt other people. And so what I'm trying to say is the track that we're on isn't working, and it, and it never will. Why? Because when you try to legislate and improve society, it doesn't work because laws and legislations don't cause people to love one another. The only thing that causes us to love one another is when we are met with the love of God in our own lives. And here we'll see it thousands of years ago, back in the time of Ezra. Ezra 9.8 says this, But now for a brief moment, grace has been shown from the Lord our God to leave us an escaped remnant and to give us a peg in his holy place that our God may enlighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our bondage. As we're saying, right in the middle of all this difficulty, God's put a stake in the ground. He's put a little peg. He's put us in there to where even though we're on planet crazy, there's a connection from here to his very place, to his power, to his realm. And it's, you know, it's an opportunity to be fed from that to where we can be the, re the remnant and the revival in the middle of all the calamity right here. Because he hasn't promised us calamity He's promised, us, he's promised us shalom, peace, strength, and victory. And he's releasing it from heaven to us. So his grace and his power was given to the people during the time and the prophecy of Ezra. And it's a beautiful thing. Body of Christ, we need to make sure that we are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ through his spirit so that his grace can be imparted through us. Then I just want us to move on to the next section in Romans, because now what's going to happen is Paul's going to say, all right, we've, we've got to live above the law. It's not going to work for us. And then he's even going to say, when you read the rest of the chapter, he's going to say, miserable wretch that I am, who will save me from this life of sin? I can't get away from the law. It continues to make me feel ashamed and guilty. I just want to be free. And so again, Romans 7, verse 7, and then I'm going to conclude with 8 too. But it's, it says this, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know the, no sin except through the law. Pause. Just a little time out here. What he's saying is 
God even took the law, which is an opportunity to point us to him, to show us of our need for him as well. And so it's not sin. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. We're glad we know it. But once we know it, we have, an, we have a tendency to try to move ourselves to measuring our effectiveness based upon the law. When what Paul's saying is, you will never be effective by living the law because it wasn't designed to. You will be in your best place when you're in right, right relationship with God. Now I'm just going to jump to Romans 8.2, and this is, this is next week's passage, but I want you to hear where it's going to go. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. So there's a higher law. It's the law of the Lord Jesus Christ that has set us free from this a law of sin and death. That's the power. Go for that, friends. Go, go with all you've got to the Lord and say, would you love me? Would you move in my life? I want to be able to hear your voice. And if I'm not hearing your voice, how am I going to understand your rules and your laws, right? So here's number two, and this is our last point is that when we turn to the law, what it'll actually do, if we turn to the law to be able to try to become right in God's eyes, it'll actually obstruct our growth and accelerate sin. So that's the, the way it's going to work. Faith accelerates freedom. We already learned that. We, we got to see Romans chapter 4 and, and Romans chapter 5. Faith in God accelerates our freedom. What Paul's saying is don't turn your freedom away to go after the law that won't work for you. And grace, just as faith accelerates freedom, grace accelerates transformation. If you want to become a new person, then what you really want to do is focus on receiving God's grace, on receiving his spirit. Remember, his grace is literally the power from heaven to transform our lives. And so when we look at grace... Would you just stop and say for a moment that grace is, is actually the Spirit of God. It's God's Spirit moving. It's God's uh, Spirit wanting to connect and to change or transform us. And so obviously there's uh, nothing that we would want more than His Spirit because that's what He wants to give us. Romans 7, 5, 6 is going to further this, this truth where it says, for while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions, which were aroused by the law, were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let that sink in for a moment. So here's what's really going on. Our flesh would not create a better person. Fle uh, the best flesh is going to die. Boom, we learned that. Now he's saying, and oh, by the way, the best rule keeping isn't going to work either. In fact, you're going to have to die to that so that you can really bear fruit through the spirit of the living God. And so we've been released not just to be able to squander our lives. We've been released from the law to come to a greater life in, by surrendering ours to the Lord, by allowing the Lord to live in us and through us as the body. And that's the newness of the letter. So I get nervous here. I mean, many of you know that I uh, didn't grow up in the church, but when I was about 18, uh, I really gave my life to Christ in a new way. And I started seeking him. And 
I, I went to a seminary as a 23-year-old, and I went to a Southern Baptist seminary for three years, very grounded in amazing, by amazing teachers and professors, by people who really love the Lord, and it was such a great opportunity for me to grow in my understanding of Scripture and to grow in my understanding of how the Lord works. I'm so grateful for those years. I, I, I learned so very much, and it really shaped my life. And in that, one of the things that I came to understand at a very deep level is that every tool that God gives us in His Word, in history, even in believers and friends and family, they're tools to cause us to trust in Him more, to be able to walk out a life of faith, to be able to move to the Spirit and bear fruit so that our life has purpose. And when we see uh, the opportunities that He gives us, what we want to do is make sure that we align with them and allow Him to have full access to our heart because that's what He's after. He's using these other tools to really capture our heart because He knows when He has our heart now, now He has that opportunity for us to be a part of the body that bears true fruit for Him. And what is that fruit? Well, it's good works. It's, it's works that are meaningful and purposeful. It's the opportunity to literally see other people uh, come to a place of being able to also reach up into heaven and have an understanding of who He is. It's about them coming to a place of knowing what eternal life is versus the temporal. And so what a great opportunity that we have. And so if we are using these opportunities to just point people to the Bible or the law as we see it, we might miss that opportunity to show them to the higher, show them the uh, higher calling, which is Christ. So here's what I want to acknowledge. Again, the law is helpful in that it is like a citation that says you're on the right track or the wrong track. In fact, I got a citation uh, the other day. I was in downtown Tacoma. And why, why do they charge people to park in Tacoma? I mean, if they want people to come down there, frequent the stores. I do, and now I have to uh, pay to park. So I paid to park. I put my $2 in. And then I come out and I have a citation on my window. I'm so disappointed. What did I do wrong? Did I put it on the wrong side of the window? And I look at the citation and it says, this is not an infraction. It's not a, it's just, it's not a citation, but it could have been. And so we're just letting you know that you messed up. And if you, you know, you need to take care of this. So I read it all the way down. And what it said is that my license tabs were expired. So I was so grateful that I didn't get a ticket. I just got a citation that said, hey, by the way, you need to make sure you take it. I was so grateful. Thank you for the citation. I went the very next day and got my license renewed and then even set it up online so that I'd get the reminder knowing my tabs were expired. That's a good citation. That's a, that's a good application of making sure you understand how the law works. But the citation is, is an opportunity to move in the right direction is not the end in mind. You know, I mean, it's not the end. The end is a relationship with Christ. But again, let's be thankful for the Word. Let's be thankful for an opportunity to understand the ways that we're supposed to navigate through life. And so I'm grateful for that. At the same time, uh, I want us to make sure that we understand that when we move to wanting to grow in our relationship with the Lord, we don't want it to be a punitive thing or a fear of getting in trouble. We don't want it to be a fear of do we measure up or not because all that slows us down in the relationship. Move beyond that, friends. 
It's not about measuring up. It's not about whether or not uh, we're good enough or, or too bad. It's about whether or not we're open to receiving his grace and his glory to transform our lives. So quick uh, conclusion here is I want to now move to the significance of making sure that you understand the value of the Word of God. Because we've talked about what the law isn't. I don't want you to think that the Bible is the new law and that you have to follow everything that it says. I'm telling you right now that if you gave your life to really knowing the Bible, you would come out with a very deep, meaningful relationship with God, and you should do everything it says. You really should. The, the Bible is very clear. And then it's going to say at some point, we're going to live this way, then in the Old Testament, the New Testament, because Jesus came and he's become our covenant. We're going to do things differently. You should, you should understand how all of that works. And I love 2 Timothy 3.16 because it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So read your word. We've got to know it. That's how, you know, we're going to grow. But that's not the end. The end is the relationship. And then I just want to give you a few uh, verses that will help us to understand the significance of making sure that we follow the Lord and not just the word, right? The word aligns with the Lord, and that's when we move in what I would call a, a winning fight, because now grace is, rele is released, not just the law. But John 5, 39 through 42 says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. I do not receive glory from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Man, the Pharisees, they knew the rules, they knew the laws, they knew it inside and out, and yet the fulfillment of it, Jesus was right there saying, would you come to me? And they were saying no. Why? Because the love of God wasn't in them, and they didn't want life. They wanted to have him validate them. So that's, that's the power. And then just so that we can understand what it means to be able to live above the law, because God's not looking for people to cross off the list. I did this, I did this, I did that. Uh, somebody tried that with him. They came and they said, hey, teacher, what's the greatest law? And Jesus threw it back at him and said, well, what do you think's the greatest law? And so he said, well, I suppose it's this, that, and he goes through it. And then Jesus says, you know what? Why don't you come follow me? And the guy said, no, I can't do that because following you is beyond what I'm willing to commit to right now. And then Jesus said, well, it's not going to work. You can know all this stuff, but until we really want to follow him with all this stuff, it doesn't work. But this is what he's calling us to, and it's it's to living above what the law can offer. That's the beauty of it. So I just want to take you to Galatians 5, 22, verse uh, 23, which is the passage that I've heard my wife pray over my daughters so many times. I'm so grateful for. But it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against against such things there is no law that is the greater law when those things take place everything else will line up so friends in conclusion john chapter 7 really is a theologian's application of grace in the real world it's roll your sleeves up it's make sure that you get these things right and it all begins with that relationship that's going to come through grace so let me tell you how to set yourself up for grace if this is 
what we're saying is true and it is. And we're saying, do you want the rules and the law or do you want grace in a relationship with Jesus? We all want grace in a relationship with Jesus. Let me tell you how you, how you get it. Number one, stop trying to validate ourselves by saying we're following the rules. Jesus has already said that puts you back in the courtroom. As soon as you try to validate yourself, you're back in the courtroom. How do you know if you're trying to validate yourself? Listen, let me give you a hint. Are you being critical of other people? Are you being judgmental? Are you blaming? Are you shaming? Those things take you right back to the courtroom because they prove that you're not operating out of grace, right? And so that's not a good place to be, friends. I don't want to be in the courtroom when I can you know, have a relationship with God in his family room. I will not find freedom in the courtroom. I'll find rules. But in his family room with his shoulder around me, tell me how it really lives. I'm not only going to find freedom, but I'm going to find transformation. And so here's, again, stop the validating. Number two is become vulnerable. And this, this is so significant. There's no grace release from heaven until we're vulnerable. Vulnerability says I'm inviting intimacy. I want your life. I want relationship. I need you. I need help. And the, the price tag for vulnerability is humility. We've actually got to acknowledge that we don't have it all together, that we don't have it all figured out, that we're hurting, that we're struggling, as opposed to putting up a facade and looking good. It's not easy to be vulnerable, but to the degree that you and I are vulnerable, is the direct ratio to how much grace we're going to be able to receive, which is the power of God to be able to be changed and to overcome. So here's the problem that I see with vulnerability is a lot of times we haven't created a setting for it. When I come to a church service and there's a lot of people out there, number one, we're moving through all these things at a pretty rapid pace. And so it's not like I can be reflective and stop and think about vulnerability. And so that makes it hard. But then I'm looking around at these people and I'm wondering, are they judging me? What if I really told the truth about where I'm at in life right now? And friends, here's the truth at Redeem. If you are able to raise your hand and say, wait a minute, I'm feeling very vulnerable. I have a need. This church would slow down and they would come and they would love and they would pray and they would be the body of Christ through which grace is released to you. That's who we are. That's how we really want to function. So what we're asking is let's make sure that you and I are being honest and open and vulnerable before the Lord. And then here's my last warning on vulnerability. Sometimes this is what we do. We say, Lord, I'm vulnerable and I need help, but Ralph needs it more than me. And Gertrude needs it. I don't deserve it. Other people have greater needs. And then we fall back into that measuring up and limiting God thing again. Friends, he is so big. He is so great. His power is so capable. That is not about our needs. It's about his love for us and being able to minister to us, to come alongside of us in an intimate way in our vulnerability. We're never more intimate and open to God than when we're vulnerable. And so let's just be vulnerable to him. Let's take time to do that. And would you right now, would you look at your life and just say, Lord, here's the areas where I really need your help. I mean, I need him. And and list them. Just, just write them down. One, two, three. Put them in your phone. Don't be afraid to write them on a sheet of paper. But say, Lord, I need you to move in these areas. I've done everything I can. And friends, when you do that, you're in good company. Paul went to the Lord and said, I can't see. I'm losing my eyesight. I was on the road to Damascus. You blinded me and then you caused me to be able to see. You did it once. Will you do it again? 
He reached out, he called out to him, and the Lord said, sorry on this one, you're going to have to struggle. But at least the Lord spoke to him and came and walked alongside of him and made his struggle into something where he could see God overcoming in his life despite his inability to see the way he wanted to see. I don't know what your health is. I don't know what your situations are. But I know that his grace is so powerful that it changes everything by beginning in the transforming of the way we see him and connect to him. I want us to call out. I want us to ask him to really move in our lives in a very powerful way. That power will come through his grace. May God just bless you on this, on this uh, endeavor to get to know him more and to see his power released in our lives. And may we as a body carry it very well. God bless you in this.